Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another Sabbath service here coming from Burlington, Ontario, Canada. And it's today's a, a cold day, but nevertheless, it's still a beautiful and a warm Sabbath. And I said good afternoon, and I'll say it again. I don't know what you might be watching. Maybe you're on the other side of the globe, or you might be the Sabbath is over by now. You might be on the West Coast, maybe you're starting a day, but anyway, welcome again. And I, we always very thankful and we appreciate your, your loyalty and that you're tuning in faithfully week after week. And I hope that you all had a wonderful week. And we know that all this news and everything that's coming that we are bombarded every day is not too much positivity in it, but we know where we're going and we know as a Christians, as a faithful Christians believing in Christ and his laws, we know that where we're going. And we know that there is always a positive positive end as long as we stay with God. So thank you for joining us. And if you're counting the days, if you're looking at the calendars, especially the Hebrew calendar, you're on the month, month nine in the fifth day of the month nine of the Hebrew calendar. If you're counting the days toward the Pentecost, we are just 125 days away. And we know that days after this go so quickly, we're just 125 days away from the Passover. And as always, before we begin, I would, would like to ask Brother Lender for their opening prayer, and then we'll be back again. So please bow your heads for the opening prayer. Brother Lender Palmatier from Wellington Congregation. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely. We pray that this service be put into your hands and that you may bless it and that we hear from the speaker what you'd like us to hear. We pray that everyone has a safe Sabbath wherever they are, whichever corner of the earth they're coming from. We pray that you speak into their hearts and bless us and bless the technology that we'll be able to have a good and very spiritually edifying sabbath we pray all these things in jesus name amen amen thank you brother Landon. now i'll have a hymn and right after him we'll go to the bible reading for this week and i would like you to have your bible open because right after him we'll go to the bible reading and the bible reading the scripture reading is taken today from romans chapter one romans chapter one verses one through seven it will be read to us by brother daniel but before we go to the scripture reading, first we'll have a hymn. And the hymn, the word will be projected on your screen. So please join us in singing this wonderful hymn, page 13, Take Time to Be Holy.
Good afternoon, brethren, and happy Sabbath. Uh, as mentioned, the scripture reading this week is from Romans 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Daniel. Now, at this time, just, just go over some announcements. We don't have many, just a few quick announcements. And as always, please don't forget the weekly Bible study as, as, as Pastor Agent is going through the, through the letter to the Colossians. It's always interesting study. So please join us at 7.30 Eastern time, Wednesday, Wednesday, Bible study. And always, thank you so much for joining us. And another of the last announcements will be, please join us next week on Sabbath at the same time, 2.30 p.m. here coming from Burlington. Now, as we move on now, we'll have another hand, but right, right after the hand, we'll go to the sermon of today by Pastor Mori Palmatier, entitled, Adjusting to These New Glasses. Adjusting to These New Glasses by Pastor Mori Palmatier. But before we go there, we have another hand on page 31, The Church's One Foundation.
Good Sabbath afternoon, everyone. It's so good to be together here again on this beautiful Sabbath day, beautiful day where we are, at least for this time of year, as we come to the end of November. We are in the midst of uh, increasing lockdowns again as the second wave is uh, well upon us. And we understand some of our other uh, brothers and sisters who were able to meet uh, have now gone in lockdown as well. So certainly a privilege and an honor and a blessing to be able to provide the service for you and certainly extend the same wishes as my brother Jan did to everyone for a blessed Sabbath and welcoming you here together with us. When I was nine years old, I hadn't realized something that had started to happen. My teacher, when I was nine, had sent a note home with me to my parents that would change my life forever. Unbeknownst to me, I needed glasses. I hadn't realized that things had become a little blurry, but she noticed. Mrs. Wilkinson was her name, grade five at uh, Central Public School in Dundas. I guess the squinting kind of gave it away. Uh, as I said, we lived in Dundas, Ontario at the time, and I still remember the eye doctor's office. And unlike today's big box store, uh, glasses uh, and the eye doctors operated out of little offices in little shops. And I remember walking out uh, with my first pair of glasses. And I remember the scene. I, I was just telling my son about it earlier here today. The, the, I can see the scene on King Street as we came out of the doctor's office. And I looked up uh, King Street in Dundas. I believe I recall it being overcast. Um, the, the, there weren't leaves on the trees because I recall, I recall it probably being late in the fall. And everything seemed so much clearer, so much clearer. I, I didn't know that my world had gone fuzzy. In fact, I remember my reaction and I've told my kids for years it, 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 when the story comes up, it looked like God waxed the world. It shone so brightly. Since then, as those of you with glasses I'm sure can attest, my prescription has changed many, many, many times. I've had many pairs of glasses. We even laugh, my family, uh, at, at pictures of some of the styles back then. But how grateful I am, and many others too, of this 13th century invention, eyeglasses. I find it interesting too, as I contemplate, that I had no idea my eyesight was bad. Having no experience, what had evidently been very clear had started to get fuzzy. But I didn't realize that. I know now. But before I had ever had to wear glasses, I had no idea that the world had gone fuzzy. It was simply how I normally saw the world. The world, had, the world hadn't gotten fuzzier. Only my perception of it had gotten fuzzy. And when I put the glasses on, my vision became very sharp. Details previously completely not visible to me suddenly came into clear view. And as time goes by, my vision weakens, the fuzziness creeps back in, and it's time for a new pair. Every single time I get a new pair of glasses, that first experience from 40 years ago comes flooding back. I had a similar experience a couple of weeks ago that I'd like to share with you today to begin today's message. Over the last several months, and even dating back a few years, you who have joined us here, either live or in the archives here in the, the Burlington 
and uh, uh, our, our sister church at the Ottawa Church. They happen to actually be meeting still. They're, they're fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to be meeting right now. We find ourselves not in that situation here. We've heard sermons from our local speakers that dig deep into the scriptures. Layers of the onion get peeled back as we look deeper into God's word. Connecting these sermons from week to week has brought us a deeper, sharper focus on some of the teachings of the Bible. Let me remind you of some of these lessons you've heard here over the last number of weeks, months, and years. You've heard that the covenant God made with Abraham is the foundational covenant of the scriptures. And God cannot break covenant. Even punishments are simply the invoking of covenant curses because God keeps covenant. We understand the covenant through the concept of godly marriage. Both of my brothers have spoken more than once on the subject of marriage as we learn about God's covenant love. We have heard that we are in spiritual warfare against the adversary, and he seeks to come into the the church through deception and the acceptance of outside influences that move us away from Jesus Christ. We've heard that salvation is a process, and this process is defined by the concepts of justification, sanctification, glorification. God's law was defined for us from the very beginning. We know this is Torah, and it has always been in effect because it defines who God is. It defines how he expects us to behave and lived rightly, not perfectly, but rightly. It leads to covenant blessings that he tells us all about in Deuteronomy. And as I remind you of these things, we can start to see how all of these messages are really part of the same story. The grand narrative that we've also heard expounded here from time to time. The covenant we've heard cannot be broken. And that covenant that cannot be broken is the same covenant we are a part of. It is a renewed covenant. And we, as either cut off physical Israelites or physical Gentiles, have been grafted into this covenant. And if you missed not just our local sermons, but if you missed some of Vance Stinson's messages that cover the same topic, including last week's uh, message on the imparted word, his, his teachings have, have been in line with some of the very things you, you hear here. The, the detailed teachings are the same things you hear here. You've heard him expound on these topics. And again, uh, that, that imparted word really dealt with the law of liberty being the Torah. So I, again, encourage you to listen to that message from last week by our brother and elder Van Stinson. Being cut off from the covenant we've learned is the result of sin, which we know can be defined into sin, transgression, and iniquity. That was covered several times and recently, just a couple of weeks ago. Understanding, though, that it isn't that intentional sin, transgression, and iniquity could never, ever 
be covered by the blood of animals explains why Christ had to come, why he had to live perfectly, and why he qualified to inherit all of the covenant promises God made to his people. And then in giving of his life so that he could shed his blood, that his blood lived of this perfect life, so that intentional sin could be forgiven. Intentional sin could be forgiven. When it had up to that point could never have been forgiven. There was no blood of any animal could forgive intentional sin. And all of this allowed physical Israel or physical Gentiles to be grafted in to that covenant. We've heard talk of the great exchange as we, as we did, we dug deeper into the understanding of, of God's storyline and how it's all going to play out and which part we play in several sermons. And that this is not a new covenant, but it's simply the renewing of the one covenant that began with Abraham. The opportunity to have unintentional sin forgiven is the grace of God and Jesus Christ. The forgiving of the opportunity to have intentional sin forgiven is the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And is why this road to salvation Remember, it's a process, not a one-time event. It is why that road to salvation must go through Jesus Christ. Because it is only that shed blood that forgives intentional sin. This grace that gives us reason to live also gives us reason to share the wonderful news that while God is a God, is cov- a God, is a God of covenant and blessings and cursings are part of those promises, The blood of Jesus Christ covers sins we previously could never have been forgiven for and gives us a path to eternal life. This is just a quick overview of the many very linked messages that have come from our shared ministry here with my two brothers and also very much includes some of the messages by our brother Vance Stinson that we have shared. We see from the epistles that each congregation is very different. Different leaders, different issues, different needs. We are so blessed, as Deacon Jan mentioned in his opening comments, to be able to share our messages here in this forum and on the Wednesday Bible studies. But our first, our first responsibility is to the brethren under our care. That others, like many of you, are able to listen in and be edified. We are grateful for that opportunity here to serve. But this is the menu that we've been afforded here over the last several months and years. Sometimes we can go week to week, hear a really good sermon, get some takeaways to work on, and then return again next week for more. But in seeing these messages, these sermons as events in and of themselves, we sometimes miss the connectivity that the understanding how all of these messages come together provides for us. I spoke recently about my morning walks and hikes. A couple of weeks ago, while I was on one of these walks, I opened up my Bible app and decided to listen to the letter of Romans be read. I chose a particular version that the the voice of the, the gentleman was pleasing to the ear And I went on my walk and I listened to him read the letter to the Romans, just as if Paul had been writing it to me 
or as if I was back in one of those congregations and was reading his letter. I'd heard several studies of this letter over the years and what an in-depth letter it is. And it makes sense because we know that it, the book of the letter to the Romans, along with the letter to the Hebrews, was written by Paul as a thorough exposition of the Christian faith. He wasn't addressing specific issues that, uh, in congregations that some of his other letters do. And it was not written to encourage individuals as other letters were. It was a, the letter to the Romans is a thorough, complete treatise of the Christian faith. And as I listened to this letter being read to me, a letter I had read, studied, heard expounded on so many, many times, I was amazed. It was as if the messages of the last weeks and months were like a new set of glasses. When your eyes weaken, you fail to realize what you're seeing is what you've always seen. But new lenses provide a sharper, crisper focus. And details you could see, you couldn't see before, all of a sudden become so obvious. And your faith in what is real is strengthened. So today, and we won't get it all done today, I would like to stop and take stock of our journey, the journey we've been on recently. And rather than provide you with new material, I would like to walk you through this wonderful letter to the Romans and show you that you've been given new lenses through which to look. These new lenses won't have changed anything you already understood to be there, but they will have provided you with a tool to see details you didn't necessarily know you were even missing. And as someone who has worn glasses for 40 years, it takes time to adjust to new lenses. But once you do, what you see looks so clear, so magnificent, and so breathtaking. So let's have a look at this letter that Paul wrote to the saints in Rome. We'll start here by taking a brief 30,000 foot view of the letter first. Paul writes this letter to a group of saints, most of them Gentile converts from Corinth, likely in the late, 80, late, late 50s AD. He had full intention of traveling there to meet with them, converts in an area that he actually hadn't raised up himself, but he heard so many good things about. We find also that there was not one congregation there. You read letters to Corinth or Colossae or the Galatians, and these letters are written to the congregation or the church in Corinth or the church in Colossae. Here, there were believers scattered through the area, meeting in various houses. And we see that when, we, when you go through chapter 16. He'd also planned on his visit to, to use visit, or sorry, use Rome as a, as a stopover visit on his way to Spain. He was quite, quite moved to keep moving west, to take the gospel west. Paul opens with an introduction to lay out the reasons for the letter. Then we see, as we go through his explanation of his beliefs, that explanation takes us, generally speaking, through the end of chapter 8. Chapters 9 through 11 really provide us with the reason why. 
and links everything back to this everlasting covenant that has been renewed through Christ and why the Gentiles were selected to be grafted into it. And because he was writing to these converted saints, he had some, he had some details he needed to share with them as to why they were grafted in. And he does that through chapters 9 through 11. Then chapters 12 through 15 pivot from a theological perspective to a practical one. What does all of this mean to a covenant believer? How should it guide and affect his life, affect his behavior? We find that practicality in chapters 12 through 15. He then makes some concluding remarks, mentioning, making mention of various folks that gather and meet across the area and lays out some of his plans and his hopes for visiting them. So let's begin with that in mind. This won't be a line-by-line -line study. Rather, we'll wander, I'd like to wander through the letter, showing you what to look for, so that when you go to read the letter in detail, your mind is open to the, the beautiful truths that are in there that are so much, so that take on new meaning and deeper, not new meaning, but deeper meaning with these new lenses that we have been given over the last weeks, months, and years. So let's begin where our brother Daniel read to us in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we'll start. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And with these new lenses, I find this very interesting. This is what editors would call a run-on sentence. Verses 1 through 4, if you read the punctuation, is a single sentence and a rather long one. But it is so appropriate because we see much of the gospel explained in one sentence. And in that one sentence, he connects it all the way back to the Torah and immediately, immediately states the case that there is not a new covenant. Wow, these lenses are working already. Verse 5. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. For his name, among whom all, among whom you also are all called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have grace. We've read this for years. With these new lenses now, I read that through him, we have the opportunity to have our intentional sin forgiven. The Pesha and Avon that we heard about, the transgression and iniquity that was never forgivable. You can't find anywhere in scripture that under the, the terms that God laid out in the Torah, that intentional sin could be forgiven. Only Chata or unintentional sin could be, could have the, the blood of, of animals covered and allow you to continue to be in the presence of God. But that grace that we heard about two weeks ago is that Christ's death and his death alone 
allows for the forgiveness of all sin. And when I read all sin, I now, I now see sin, transgression, and iniquity. See how the picture becomes more defined? See how the picture becomes more clear? And the apostolic writings don't at all contradict or seem to contradict or need explanation about how it doesn't sound like it's in line with the Hebrew scriptures. It all fits together. And this is why this, the ability through the death of Jesus Christ, the, his shed blood is the perfect sacrifice. His grace that allows for the forgiveness, forgiveness of intentional sin, for the forgiveness of transgression and iniquity. This is why it is only through Christ. It's not that the new covenant is better than the old. No. The covenant is able to be renewed because his death allows for the complete forgiveness of all sin, all types of sin. His death allows for that. All of that from five verses. Because the lenses I'm working with now provide a sharpness I didn't see before. I didn't see before. So he gives us this grace. That's what we read. We also read that we received apostleship. This means something too. And we've talked about this. Here, when I read this, I see this to mean small a. Now, we know there are capital A apostles. We've talked about that. There, there are 12 apostles that will oversee the 12 tribes of Israel. And it is through the gates in the New Jerusalem, the 12 gates in the New Jerusalem, through which man may come to Israel through Israel to worship God in the kingdom of God. But here, Paul says, through him we have been received grace, which we linked back to this forgiveness of intentional sin. And we've received apostleship. And apostleship means when we consider not the office, but the Greek verb being sent out. We've received this grace and we've received the command to, to be sent out to tell the world of this great news that life after death really is possible. Life after death is possible. Verse 11, let's drop down to verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is the purpose of what Paul, why Paul wrote this letter. He wanted to see them. They were a congregation, or, or sorry, a group of a group of, of believers that he heard great things about. You got you got to hear about these converts in Rome. They, they've really got it together. They're really passionate for God. And he wanted to get over there to see him. We can, you can see if we take, you take the time in your studies to go back to verse eight and read about how, how their faith inspired him. But here, while he, want, he longed to see them, it was more important to him that he helped to establish them to, 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 through, through the, the explanation of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they become established. Not simply hearers with superficial understanding or hearers that didn't understand at all, but hearers that were rooted to endure through all hardships. That's what he's talking about here. In this, when, I, when I read establishment, 
that takes me back to last week's message. That we must be found in the group of believers that are rooted, rooted to for endurance, to make it through all of these hardships that this life has to offer, so that they too could then be gifted to spread the same good news of grace, grace only available through belief in Jesus Christ. And again, we heard about this, this rootedness, this being established in last week's message. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And before I go into my thoughts on this, just a, a brief comment. Your lenses don't have to be my lenses, but your lenses should help you see things in a more sharper, clearer, clearer focus. As we go through here, I've probably skipped over things that you picked up on. But in our interaction, that's where we have the ability to help each other see these things. You know, as I survey, as I survey my surroundings, there's certain things I pick up on even with the sharpest of lenses. But I may not see everything. I may miss details that you pick up on because you're looking for something else. But it is the fact that we have these sharper, sharper lenses that help us see more detail that we're talking about here. So we just read verses 16 through 17. We read here, it is the power of God to salvation. Salvation, when I read that, immediately reminds me now that salvation is not a one-time event. It's a lifelong process requiring strong roots. Again, we're starting to see the, see everything coming together now. It requires strong roots, but it's a process, a lifelong process. To the Jew first, then the Greek, there's an order of operation that, that God himself created. It just, it just is. We find a lot, of, a lot more about that further on in the letter. The just shall live by faith. First, a direct link back to the Hebrew prophets. Here, he's quoting Habakkuk. But salvation is a process. And it begins the moment we repent. Well, actually, begins the, begins the process back when we're being called. But the, the, the salvation process, when we think of it, justification, sanctification, and glorification that we learned about, that justification uh, step in the salvation process is the moment we repent and the moment we receive the grace of the blood of Christ. This is the moment we are justified when we are made right in the presence of God. But then, as we read here, it requires a life lived in faith or the rest of our lifetime of sanctification. Our time here on this earth, following that justification event, is the process of sanctification. And it is a life lived in faith. There is a part we play after we have received the grace of the blood of Christ. And this sanctification process is the process of being made holy and complete in Christ. Verse 18. These are the things I'm, I'm seeing now as I'm just walking through a letter that I've read many, many times before. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Wow, this Old Testament God, full of wrath. Hmm. That's not what it means. That's not what it says. What it says with these sharper lenses is that God can't break covenant. He can't break his covenant, even to the point where we force him to invoke the covenant curses. He's keeping his promise. Unrighteousness is explored throughout the rest of the chapter. Let's drop down to verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the loss of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. And you can, in your studies, read about those vile passions. Verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers and backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Do these sound unintentional? Not even close. So all this is simply a list of works of the flesh with this newfound, these new lenses I've been given. I see intentional sin is the, is the reason for the wrath of God. He allowed through the shed blood of an animal for our slip-ups to be forgiven, to our, for, for our slip-ups to have the, have the blood of an animal so that we can remain in his presence. But these filthy, evil, intentional, self-willed actions, there was, no, there was never any forgiveness before the death of Christ. It wasn't simply wasn't possible. And these intentional, evil, filthy actions, they bring about the wrath of God. They bring about the covenant curses because God told us they would. We see that in verse 32. We see that so clear. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that God is our, there's no other way to put it. He is our righteous judge. That those who practice such things are deserving of death, not because God's a wrathful, angry God, but because intentional sin could never be forgiven. It was not possible before the, the grace, the, the sacrifice of Christ and the grace that, that his perfect life and perfect shed blood offers for us. That those who practice such things are deserving of death because the covenant says so. And God can't break covenant. And it wasn't like we didn't know. It wasn't like we didn't know. Chapter 2. Let's drop down to verse 5. And again, we're just, we're just walking through this letter, surveying it as we go, and seeing what we see through these beautiful new lenses that we've come to understand. Verse 5, chapter 2. 
but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who, in verse 6, will render to each one according to his deeds. Again, we just talked about that. The righteous judgment of God, the blessings and the cursings of the covenant promises that he made. And according to that covenant, he simply cannot break. And what we read here is we've, we've done it to ourselves. We've, we have treasured up for ourselves either the wrath or the blessings based on our behavior and our adherence to the covenant promises, the, the, the covenant expectations that God lays out for us. That we, we, we have determined for ourselves our fate. Because God doesn't break covenant. Verse 7. Eternal life to those who by his patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. I've read that over many times. But with this, again, these, these new glasses as I adjust to them and slow down and start to read these things. This patient continuance. This is that lifelong sanctification part of the salvation process we've talked about, that this is what it's all about, that we patiently endure and that we look forward to, as we read, the glory, the glorification, that final step in the process. That's what we're looking forward to. And that is why, when we understand that salvation is a process, that is why understanding that we've been justified, that we, our intentional sins heretofore absolutely unforgivable have now allowed through the, the grace of Jesus Christ have allowed us to be forgiven. Now give us a reason to act according to his will and to patiently endure all that comes upon us because it is that final step in the process, that glorification that we see out there that is our end goal. It's not about self-fulfillment in this life. It is about glorification at the hands of our father. Verse eight. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. We see self-righteousness and self-seeking and unrighteousness again. Again, these are intentional sins. Completely intentional decisions made by those committing these sins. There's nothing, we can't blame anybody else for these actions except ourselves. Who does the, who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek? This order of operations, again, that the covenant did go to the Jews first. And then after the Jews were rejected, were cut off, and we'll get into that much further down here in this letter as we've covered in several messages, the grafting in of the, of the Gentile, but for specific reasons. And that's part, as we remind as we were reminded at the beginning of this letter, that's part of the reason why Paul wrote this so that the, the grafted in Gentiles didn't misconstrue why their presence there, that there was something great about them because there wasn't, there's something great about the grace of Jesus Christ. 
verse 10, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. God is faithful to his covenant. These same lessons, but it is so easy for us as human beings to forget these lessons. Blessings and cursings that are invoked with no partiality because God is a righteous judge. You can't have your intentional sins overlooked simply because of your DNA. Whether you're Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. Intentional sins could never have been forgiven prior to the grace of Jesus Christ. They can only be forgiven through that grace. Let's drop down to verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And when he says my gospel, it's, it's the gospel that, that he believes in. It's the gospel that he ha- that has been entrusted to him as it has been entrusted to so many. This good news, this, this piece of news that has been entrusted to Paul, that he has spent the rest of his life expounding on. And remember here as we read, verse, we read verses 15 through 16, our discussion on conscience back in the summer. The synthesizing of the, of the Holy Spirit with our human spirit. And when we submit our will to the will of God, when our human spirit comes under the Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside. And if we quench that spirit, if our human spirit is the reigning force, thus our behavior, either way, our behavior either accuses us or excuses us. We either continue in intentional sin and thus bring the accusation of the righteous judge upon ourselves, or it excuses us. We continue to seek redemption for our human frailty because our will is come, comes under God's will. And thus our, intentional, our unintentional sins, our human frailty, the, our slip-ups are forgivable. But when we willfully allow our human spirit to, to take command, we eventually snuff out the Holy Spirit, as we read in First Thessalonians. Verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Wow. When I read this, there's only one covenant. You are called a Jew. He's writing this to converted Gentiles. There is only one covenant, and it has been renewed in Christ. That's what I see as I walk through this letter. It allows non-Jews to be grafted in and become part of the Israel of God. Therefore, Paul can tell them, you're a Jew. Here he calls these un, these converted Gentiles Jews. Later on, we see when we get into chapters 9, 10, 11 and other places, he talks about physical Israel, but he calls them them. 
not us, in, con in context here. And that is because Paul, even though he was a physical Jew, also was, was, was accepted the grace of Jesus Christ. And he became a full-fledged member of the, of the covenant of God because of that faith in Jesus Christ. Not because he was a blood Jew. He was a blood Israelite. But because he was a believer in Jesus Christ. But they can be again. Look at verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So here's a man who participated in the slaughter of Jesus Christ. Now finding himself part of the inner circle of God, the covenant people, not because he was born on the right side of the Jordan River, but because of his faith and acceptance of the grace of Christ. Wow. These new, these new glasses are really working. I can see so much. I can see so much just in a chapter and a half. Romans 3. Deacon Jan went through this chapter in much, much detail a couple of weeks back. But let's take a, let's take a look. Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. They are all under sin. This is certainly not a statement that we have never read and understood. We have read. We have understood. We've, there are many sermons that have been preached on it. Many people over the course of, of many hundreds of years have come to a belief, a, a some type of belief in Jesus Christ because of some of these words. But with this sharper focus that we have, we can see so much more detail. All are under sin. Not because of the law is no good, not because of some failure in the covenant, but be specifically because without the grace of Christ, Intentional sin is unforgivable. So unrepentant Jews have been cut off. And Gentiles, absent of a knowledge of Jesus Christ, have no hope. Everybody is under sin. Everybody is subject to the covenant curse that we all face. And that is death. Death because we sinned intentionally. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. There's that justification word again. It's the first step in the lifelong process of salvation. And again, if these are concepts we think we know and, we, and we've heard and we just can skip over this, we'd be warned not to. Because 
Paul here makes repeated references to these same concepts. And all he's doing is tying them in together so we have a, a, a framework through which to see the faith of Jesus Christ. But we see this justification word here again. The, this first step in the process of salvation. The law cannot justify us. And again, how many times have you heard that try to be explained? That there was some failure of the, of the, of the old covenant. That there was some failure in the law. Not necessarily even within the churches of God movement, but somewhere you've, you've heard those, those teachings. When I put on, when I get my eyesight adjusted to these sharper lenses, we see that the law cannot justify us because that initial moment is tie, in time when we are justified that begins the salvation process is only by God's grace. When I read justification or sanctification or glorification, all of these words are used along with the word salvation itself. These words mean more to me now. They, they, I have a deeper understanding that these words actually mean something. They're not all just synonyms of the word salvation. Now, to those who are new to the faith and are just coming into the faith, it is good to see these words as synonymous. It's understandable. When, I, when we have weaker lenses, when we, when we can only see what we can see because we aren't, aren't trained to see deeper, we see what we see. But it is through maturity and through deeper study, peeling those, the layers of the onion back, getting deeper and, and digging into the word of God. That the more we study, the, again, the more layers of the onion that we peel back. And again, I have used a mixed metaphor here. But the more you are able and ready to see more beautiful detail that is in the word of God. But like salvation, learning is a process. That is why we can't be satisfied with what we know. But we are admonished to look deeper, not for new truths, as some say, but to be more firmly established. We read about that in verse 11 of chapter 1 back when Paul was opening his letter. That's why we dig. That's why we, we try to see the finer details so that we may be more firmly established, rooted in faith so that nothing may shake us. See all of these messages coming together? Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. It doesn't say not to boast. Too often, a shallow understanding, which we all go through, we all have to have some shallow understanding before we dig deeper and get deeper understanding. We read this. And I've read it, and you know, we bet this is a good, this is a, a beautiful life. But you know, it says not to boast. Let's 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 uh, keep quiet about this. It doesn't say not to boast. It says not to boast in the law, not to boast in your own works. My fuzzy vision used to think it just says not to boast, and it's a good thing not to boast in your younger stages. Don't be vain about your faith. But as I grow, 
it actually says not to boast about our obedience to the law because our intentional sin makes all of that irrelevant. It makes it all moot. Who cares? Our boasting is in Christ because we understand his profound grace for providing a way for the unforgivable to be forgivable. See the sharper focus this that we see here in words that we've, we've read over and we've understood, but now we understand them better. Not, to, not, not what we understood was bad, but we understand them better now. Then you continue through the end of, of the chapter, explaining in more beautiful detail how we are justified by faith. And as you survey the scene with your new lenses, these messages have provided. Don't miss out on the beauty of the scene. This is all coming together so beautifully. That's why, even in shallow understanding, theologians can conclude that this is a grand treatise of the Christian faith, because it really is. It really, really is. Chapter 4. Verse 1. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our father, has, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So as I look back and survey the Old Testament, which I personally now cannot help but call the Hebrew Scriptures, renewed covenant, right? I, I, I have trouble now calling it the Old Testament, at least amongst those who have this sharp, have, who understand what I'm trying to say. It's the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament is the apostolic writings or the gospels or the revelation of Jesus Christ. This makes so much more sense now on how Abraham can be justified by faith. He can be justified by faith because true faith is the only way to be justified. It is the only way to be justified is true faith. Works, obedience to Torah. The law of liberty, as I mentioned, our brother Vance spoke about last week, it could, it could never justify anything because it was never meant to justify anything. It was never meant to justify anything. It was there to help us understand what sin is and the impact of sin on our lives and the separation that it creates between us and our creator. And it, the law helps us understand where we have failed and why through it, through an intentional self-willed way that without the blood of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. The law was never meant to justify, but it was meant to guide. It was meant to be part of the sanctification process, teaching us how to live correctly, how to align our will with God's. This really doesn't speak to the inefficiencies of the law, but it speaks to the purpose of the law. 
And that becomes so much clearer. So much clearer when you understand how all of these concepts come together. And that this letter to Rome is really, is really indeed a thorough Christian treatise. It really, really is. What else can we see? Abraham, our father. Gentiles absolutely grafted in to the covenant with Abraham. When we take these teachings and we see them as part of a spiritual diet, not just individual messages from week to week, the holy word of God absolutely opens up. Opens up everywhere. It's like putting on these new glasses. It opens up completely. And we see so much more. And we can go anywhere and see this. We can, let's go anywhere. Let's go Colossians 2. When we take these glasses, we can go to where Pastor Adrian was this week in his Bible study. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and, and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jews and Gentiles being able to be united to the grace of Christ. We've, been we've heard that expounded here. This mystery, as, as we heard on, on Wednesday, Wednesday night, the, the, another way to have that worded so it flows better is this mystery of Christ in God. When we understand this, as we read here, these hidden treasures become visible. Why? Because we've got these sharper focused lenses that help us to see more, that help us to dig more. And for those of you who are who desire the, the meat of God's word, it gives us a drive and a passion to dig deeper. Teach me more. Teach me more. Not so that I can look good in front of folks, not so I can look smart and 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 be able to expound, but so that you may be glorified and that others may come to the belief that this magnificent grace is this new is something not even the Jews understood. Because it wasn't the law that was the problem. It was the fact that it could never, intentional sin made everything, made everything moot. Verse six. As you have therefore received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. This takes me back to last week's message, rooted and established in the faith. We see these lessons coming to light every, everywhere we turn in the scriptures when we understand how all of these, these teachings really do come together as one. Because we believed, we were justified. Now we spend the rest of this life purposefully, purposefully walking the right way, which will develop the deep roots that will ensure we can withstand deception. 
from the adversary, deeply rooted and established. When we come to this level of understanding, we are filled, as it says here, with gratitude and thanksgiving. And what do people do when, we when they've been given a new lease on life? They want to tell the world about it. We heard that too, that deeply rooted, deeply rooted people produce fruit. And then they want to share that story. I think we'll stop there. We still, I still have some concluding comments here. There's so much. We can't get through all of Romans today, but I want to go back now as I prepare to conclude to Romans chapter one and see what we read at the beginning. There's so much here and we'll take on a little bit more of it sometime down the road. I'd like to walk, continue to walk through this again. And let's reread this. Now that we've understood that we've got this concept that all of these messages, and we went through a myriad of them at the beginning in the introduction. And you know what? I'm sure there were, I know there were ones I've forgotten. I know there's ones that are, I didn't place in there. And I know there's probably messages that meant something to you that have added to your lenses that help your focus and vision become sharper. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, chapter one, verse one. As we read now this introduction to this letter, through what we've brought together, brought through here in the, in, in the last hour or so, let's read this again. And notice the beautiful artistry that is the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God, this gospel of grace, this, this description of the salvation process. That allows the un the sorry the intent the unforgivable to be forgiven. What a what a beautiful painting is is painted for us just in the first verses. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he which he God himself promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. And we, I haven't even mentioned those messages that we talked about, but they are here too. And declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Failure to study, to have an earnest desire to dig deeper, to understand the word of God more now than you did before, is the passion that God is looking for. This is what will help us hold up against the persecution of the adversary. We'll close in Ephesians 6 and see that. Laid, laid plainly for us. Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll read the description of the armor of God. We've gone over this many times. Pastor Adrian covered the Letter to the Ephesians during the feast, and it's also in the archives. 
But verse 14, stand therefore. Don't cower. Uh, here's, what, here's what I can see when I read this now. This is something that we read through quickly and try to check off the, the boxes here of all of the elements. Stand therefore. Have a stiff spine and stand for God. That's going to be much needed as we as as the world caves around, caves in around us. Having girded your waist with truth. We've covered the the what Peter talks about with gird the loins of your mind. Here it's protecting your loins, protecting your waist, your 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 inner parts, your 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 organ, your vital organs are protected with truth by truth, because truth is our only, our only hope. It's it's the truth of God made plain throughout the scriptures as we're talking today is what protects us from the advances of the enemy. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That righteousness that we received because we were justified. And we can, we can have that hope because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ here. It's not our righteousness, but we've been justified by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So put his righteousness up, not ours, his. That will protect us. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When you understand and have a profound appreciation, as we just read, for the grace of Jesus Christ, you want to tell the world about it. Have your feet prepared with the, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be prepared to, to tell those who need to hear it. And above all, taking the shield of faith. It is that faith that allows for the just for the, the justification, the receipt of that grace. It is only that faith. We read about that with Abraham. It wasn't because he was a Hebrew. It wasn't because of who he was born. It was his faith in God, faith in the truth of God. The shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When we have that faith and we understand that faith that, that has justified us, that we have received this grace, that our intentional sins have been forgiven and we can stand strong, we can stand sturdy. We can have the truth of God. We, we don't have to worry about the attacks from the outside and hurting our vital organs because the truth of God protects us. We are Im immersed in this truth and it will protect us. We're prepared to tell whoever needs to be told that. And that faith is like a shield and it will help us guard against all of the fiery darts of the adversary as we read and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to protect our minds so that our minds will not, our minds will not be this helmet of salvation. This sub number salvation is a process. So this is a lifelong process that even though we are justified, even though we hear the word, we, it depends on how deep our roots are, whether we will be able to, survive the onslaught but this helmet of salvation protects our mind when we understand that salvation is a process and it requires the grace of christ but once we receive that it requires effort on our part as part of that sanctification part of that process 
and the sword of the spirit, that it is this truth that we hold in our hands is our only weapon because it's not about us. It's a, it is about God himself and Jesus Christ. And it is their word that becomes the weapon because we don't have to worry about it. It makes no difference what, what we think it only matters what God and his will is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, all the saints. When Jew and Gentile are grafted in together and have an appreciation that it is because of the grace of Jesus Christ that they even have the opportunity to be grafted either into or back into this covenant. And for me, Paul concludes, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. More to come on this, I'm sure. There's more to come, not just in this message or God willing, if there are future messages uh, from me on this topic to continue to walk through this beautiful letter. But there's more to come for all of us as we continue to adjust to these new lenses, these new glasses. I wonder, I wonder what our next set of lenses will show us. Wow, thank you, Pastor Murray. Thank you for this great gift of yours that you're able to walk back, going back months and just refresh and remind us all the message that we heard and the impact, that the impact that this message should have all of us, on all of us. And it was nice to see in a way how you were impacted on these messages because we can see in your passion, we can see in your language. So thank you so much for your hard work. And brethren, I hope, I hope and I pray that also every single one of you was very much impacted, not just through a message today, but through all these messages. And I hope that your understanding that comes from this message will be so much easier as we go through this, not just studying the Bible, but to how to live our lives here on this planet, whatever we may have remaining. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for everyone who participated in making this broadcast possible to all of you. And now we'll just have a closing prayer. And after prayer, prayer we'll just have a closing hymn. So just bow your head, brethren, now. Loving Father, great God, we wouldn't be here today, not single one of us if it wouldn't be for this awesome, unbelievable grace that every single one of us received. And we received this grace, not just because we are somebody, because we are born rich, influential, or smart, intelligent, not just because of our great behavior or understanding of your word, Father, we receive this grace because we have faith in no one else but Jesus Christ. 
And the simple word grace is so powerful, so convincing. And yet, there is so much confusion in Christianity about the meaning of this word. Thank you, Father, for opening our eyes, opening our minds, for opening our ears. Millions, billions of people are still till this day deceived by the power of the devil. And yet through all this confusion and deceptions, Father, you open our eyes and our minds. And as we move forward, Father, help us to be strong. Help us to build this faith, to increase this faith in Jesus Christ. And help us, Father, to be faithful till our death. So our process of certification will end. I'll be just waiting for this moment that not just we will be glorified, but specifically our Father in heaven will be glorified to the fullness. Thank you so much for every blessing. Thank you so much for this Sabbath and everything that we've received, Father. We praise you. We praise you, Holy Mind, Father. We ask you all this thing in other name, but Jesus Christ, name. Amen. And brethren, as I mentioned, just close, we'll close this broadcast with the final hymn, which you can find on page 88, Leaning on the Everlasting Arm. May God bless you, brethren.